Happy New Year and welcome to a brand new edition of Cardio Conversations from MedTech Insight. I'm Reed Miller, MedTech Insight's R&D and commercial editor. I often talk to leaders in the big established device companies to find out what's next for them, but we also want to talk to leaders of smaller companies and startups who will either become one of those big companies someday or at least are creating the innovation that those big companies will acquire. So by luck, I just happened to get a chance to visit the new offices of AVS in the seaport area of Boston. AVS is developing the pulse intravascular lithotripsy system to treat calcified peripheral vessels. So I talked to Robert Chisna. He is the co-founder and CTO of AVS as the CTO. He leads the research and product development, manufacturing and operations of the company. He got his PhD at Michigan not long ago and his bachelor's at Penn State, which is just down the street from me. So that was one of the things we connected on. Just to give you a little more update, in 2023, the company closed its Series B, worth almost $30 million. Uh, they also presented encouraging data from a small trial at TCT in the fall, and that was especially impressive because they had to run that trial during the pandemic. So I talked to Dr. Chisna about that and his experience starting a new company, coming out of graduate school, and then setting the company up in Boston and why they chose Boston. Uh, we also talked a lot about AVS's technology in particular, how it uses pressure waves to crack plaque in the peripheral arteries, and why there is such a need for for a solution like that. You can read a lot more about AVS in the article that I'm gonna put on the website that goes along with this podcast at techinsight.com. So let's get right into my discussion with Robert Chisna. First off, I wanna thank you for the uh, the opportunity to tell the story, of, you know, tell AVS's story. I'm honored to speak with you for sure. And, uh, you know, AVS was kind of born from a concept by well-known interventional cardiologist, Tinder Gurham at the University of Michigan. Him, like you know, all other interventionalists, um, face uh, difficulties when treating intravascular calcium. You know, it's extremely hard, probably as, you know, as hard as asphalt that you walk on outside, forms inside of very sensitive vessels, you know, and, and it's debilitating to patients. And so he was looking for a way to improve that, uh, that therapy and that treatment. Uh, as you may know, University of Michigan has this really tight-knit bond between engineering and medicine. What that allowed him to do was to kind of come to the engineering school where, where I was and, and where my professor was, Albert Shee, at the Biomedical Design and Manufacturing Lab, and, and start to work through this problem. So it, you know, I started studying kind of from a, I'd say, bottoms-up and a tops-down approach. That's how I, I kind of phrase it. Uh, so, you know, first you go and study the pathology and the, the treatment need. That's the bottoms up approach. And then the top down is what does this device need to do to interface in the cath lab? Right. And, um, and that's, that's where we started. We had a lot of good, uh, early success and, and Michigan is great in that you, know, you can get a lot of early funding. We actually pulled in about, uh, I think 250,000 funding to accelerate early development of, of the prototype. And continue to do some of the basic science work. And, and, and note that, you know, this was before Shockwave really became somewhat of a, a public phenomena. So, so we, we developed a whole different mechanism of action, um, around lithotripsy that was intending to do the same thing in the vessel, which is to crack calcium and sustainably crack calcium and, and do that in easy to use platform. With those early successes, and that in mind, you know, through COVID, uh, Dr. Kerm and I went and uh, raised a small Series A round led by Biostar. You know, just a huge shout out to those guys. They have a really unique model where, you know, it's kind of physicians first um, and then, you know, kind of money after. 
great guys. They were able to kind of accelerate the development of ABS beyond where, you know, um, you know, we, we could have just taken it with, with, without them. Um, you know, and then as part of that Series A, uh, Mark Toland came on as the C- CEO of ABS. And, you know, he's absolute veteran in the industry and, and a great guy. And, 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 you know, his vision helps help push the company forward. Um, and then, you know, through Series A, uh, Mark and I, with a few contractors and a lot of sweat, we went on and did, you know, full product development uh, of, our, of our first human device, you know, a cadaver study that, that um, it was kind of run by doctors, uh, Renu Vermani and Alok Finn at CB Path that had incredible results. And then, uh, and then we ran that you know, small first in human trial we presented at TCT recently. That trial is really what turned out to be the major inflection point for, for ABS. You know, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but right. you know, that trial really showed what this little company could do in a big way. So, so really impressed by that. And then, you know, Series B happened, uh, led by Biostar and Q Capital this year, and uh, the rest is sort of history. When you were starting out at Michigan, were you always planning to do something in, in medical devices? My interest in, in med tech really kind of started uh, young. Um, my, my dad's an orthopedist oh, and okay. uh, has an affection for, for fracture healing, and I was sort of always the tag along on, on the research and device development. And, and that, uh, that passion, his passion, sort of awakened. Uh, that in me and then was reignited when I went to Penn State. Yeah. Um, uh, and when I was introduced to academic research and then, um, a Penn State led to Michigan and this project with Dr. Durham. So I'd always had an interest in med tech development. I was sharp in my skills. And then, you know, um, as, as chief technology officer at ABS, I, I lead a, you know, a small group of R and D engineers, uh, through the development of the pulse system. But, you know, you know, my main objective is to have the vision uh, for, for where this company is going to operate and play in over the next few years. I think I think that's that's probably the most important aspect of, of what, what I do and what, you know, what I like to do. OK, um, uh, even when you were in grad school, were you thinking like, oh, this could be its own company or pretty early on when I started to look at the number of people affected by this? Um, you know, I knew that it was a major issue. I didn't know how big of an issue right. it was until we started kind of putting it in front of other people um, and, and also kind of seeing the market aspects of, of, of the, you know, the potential of this device. I've heard a lot from the perspective of, of the kind of veterans who, who fund a lot of these things about, like, oh, this is what people get wrong. But soon, soon you'll be in that position to be telling other people, when I was your age, this is what I should have done. I don't know if, if you've had any time to reflect on that. I'd say that the thing that helped most was being able to learn from, from others and quickly learn from others and, and not having maybe kind of leaving your ego at the door. Right. Yeah. yeah there, there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure even some of the, the sages will say that, um, that there, there's something to learn every day. And, uh, and, and I definitely find that to be true. I, I'd also say fail early. I, I know a lot of people say, you know, different variations of that, but fail as, as quickly as possible. Uh, because that, that'll kind of lead you to success a little later on. Um, and, and, you know, don't, don't be afraid of it. Uh, and then, you know, don't be afraid of hard work. Right. <laughs> you, right. you just got to get out there and get after it. Be smart about it. Right. And then in terms of getting, uh, Mark Toland and I mean, he's obviously a pretty well known name and I mean, I guess mostly, was mostly boss scientific, I guess, like that. Was, when did he, when did he come into it? Was he sort of part of it from the beginning or is it only after you realized, okay, well, now we've got something and now we need to get a veteran? I mean, how's that part work where you go from having, okay, we got the idea and the technology. Okay. Now we need some 
veteran leadership. I'm not quite sure how that step works. Majorly part of the Series A round, okay. right? So, so you know, coming t- taking a, uh, a device and technology out of, the, out of the university, you know, you sort of have to recognize that there are things that you, you don't know, and you're, you're not going to learn in, in that short period of time. You know, my, my focus was around technology. I knew that, and I was, you know, okay um, uh, with with that kind of change. And uh, you know, Mark was Mark was uh, you know a, a part of a BioStar, and, and that was that, right. that the merger kind of came in and, and brought Mark in, and you know brought the the experiential leadership that, that ABS definitely needed. Right. Um, and then the two of us kind of tag teamed it from there. Okay, so the connection is through the financing through BioStar. Okay, yeah, that makes yep, a lot of sense. As opposed to like, oh, he, you know, helped you. Okay, I got it. Um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So now, now I was going to talk to you about how the, the pulse system works and without giving too much. Can you talk a little bit about it? You know, we, we talked before how pressure waves and then it's a little bit like why two cans are connected to a string works pressure waves. And, and then we'll talk about why is that the solution? Um, as opposed to, I mean, any other way to bust up plaque. Yeah. I, well, so first off, when, when you want to you know, crack calcium, you obviously want to do it safely and you want to get the shattering effect. So. You know, pulse intravascular lithotripsy, so the technology behind it is a you know, relatively simple mechanism of action. Uh, and, and, you know, contrary to, let's say, you know, cavitation-based mechanisms where you're generating a cavitation bubble with electrical, uh, large electrical impulses or optical impulses or, you know, <laughs> rotating a you know, drilling burr at 30,000 RPMs. Now, the way that this device works is it, you know, generates um, a rapid pulse a high frequency, low intensity pulse in the balloon from outside the body. And the idea is you want to have a low average energy level, but the peak impact force is what's cracking the calcium, okay. right? And, and cracking it and fatiguing it. So that, that low average energy is what keeps the vessel safe. And the high impact force that's very momentary uh, is, is what, um, and the, the oscillation of that momentary force is what is what cracks the calcium. Okay. Um, you know, the way that, the way that we do this is with a you know, capital equipment, proprietary capital equipment, um, and then a single use piece that, that's, um, that kind of creates the energy transduction. And similar to your analogy, which is a really good one, um, you know, you're, you're, you're producing the pressure waves outside the body. And just like that string, you're passing it, you're passing it through the, the catheter into the balloon. Okay. Obviously, I imagine you, you played around with different things to crack calcium. There's got to be a thousand different ways you could do this where you would traumatize the side of the vessel, you blow up all the blood cells. Yeah, great question. So, so that was actually part of the, the early work that we did. Uh, we found that calcium itself has a lot of, um, it's, it's very inhomogeneous, right? Okay. So you have this crystalline structure that has a lot of nodules and, and holes and, and various things in it. So, um, you know, when you, when you pulse that, that solid mass, um, if you can impact it in such a way that, that that solid mass breaks up over time without damaging the surrounding tissue, uh, you, you get you get a good uh, treatment effect. And one of the, one of the downfalls of, for instance, angioplasty, regular angioplasty, is that you know when you have an eccentric piece of calcium, which typically happens, you know, calcium in and of itself is um, you know, forms on one side of the vessel uh, often. It's not always a concentric ring. Um, you know, when, when you have that angioplasty balloon and a centric piece of calcium, you know, the, the balloon has a tendency to push towards the weaker side of the vessel. That makes sense, right? right. And, and, and what this technology has shown, uh, is, is actually when, when you have a centric piece of calcium, those, those impact pressure waves have, have a tendency to direct the force 
and the impact towards the theocentric lesion. Uh, and we've seen this with, with some of our you know, early um, development work and then even in some of our you know, uh, initial patient trial here, uh, we've, seen, we've seen good results with the centric calcium. So should we understand that the waves are going from the wire out or they're going down the pipe, so to speak? How should we understand that? Yep, so they're going down the pipe and then they get dispersed through the balloon itself. From okay. the balloon, they get, uh, they get dispersed into the surrounding into the, That's right. It's okay. a radial wave that expands. Radial, outward. okay, I got it. Is there anything that you had to do or that needs to be done to actually make it cross the lesion? Like in the, in the, in the YouTube, that looks really straightforward. Okay, that can't possibly be that easy. Yeah. The other people have done that too. So, I mean, what did you have to do to make sure that it could actually work? I mean, crossing the lesion is probably one of the most important things. If you can't get your therapy right. down there, you can't treat it, right? Um, so, so, I mean, you know, first off, pulse IVL technology was really developed with calcium in mind, right? So it features a, a low profile, like, um, non-compliant balloon design that's easy to cross the lesion and, and you know, uh, pulses um, uh, with, with a, you know, uh, using an ergonomic and, and easy to use device, right? So, so it shatters this calcium quickly and, and isn't really limited by the, you know, competitive uh, systems like a short lifespan. Um, and, 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 you know, all of this you can do with this, the same balloon. Everything happens. So you you, sh- you cross the lesion, you shatter the calcium, you expand the vessel, and then you remove the device. All with that, all with that one 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 system, one balloon. Okay. And is there anything to worry about where the calcium is going? It's it's a really good question, especially with you know all of these you know intrusive endovascular devices. You know you're you know, in one case you know you have you know atherectomy type systems that are grinding away or ablating the plaque. And that in and of itself likely create some some form of emboli. In this case, you know, uh, and in the case of you know other lithotripsy devices, you're creating these radial waves that expand outward, and, and you're um, in the current location where the calcium is, you're cracking it. Okay. And then you remove your balloon, and and, um, and the calcium pathology is such that it's embedded in the wall of the oh, vessel. You're not trying to ab- ablate it. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're actually just leaving it there with cracks in, in, in the calcium, okay. these microfractures. Once you've done that, you've restored the compliance of the vessel, right. and then you expand the vessel from there. So we think about it like an expansion joint. So like when, they, when they come and do, like, they pour your uh, driveway. Exactly right. Have to come exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. Now, you're focused on the peripheral vessels. We can talk about what the unmet need is there. Well, what, what are these people doing now if they have the, the supercalcified um, vessels in, in the periphery? Uh, so, so, so peripheral vessels are... Uh, notoriously difficult to treat when calcium is present. I mean, that, that was kind of the, the whole need for for the device, um, that and, and the coronaries. But, but typically, the, these vessels are, you know, diffusely diseased. They're, the calcium is eccentric, um, sometimes difficult to access. And when you treat it, there's a lot of recoil. So your balloon is, is used to expand it. And then once you remove your balloon, it comes comes back down. You know, further, the the strategy for these vessels is to kind of leave nothing behind. Um, so, so you don't really want to stent the vessels. Um, I'd say Shockwave has made a lot of leaps and strides in changing the game of treatment of you know, peripheral calcium. I mean, recently, if you know, if you look at their quarterly reports, they've definitely encountered some headwinds uh, from some of the New York Times related articles. Uh, I, I think ultimately they'll recover from that, and that you know market segment will continue to grow. I mean, there are really sick patients that are you know require this type of treatment. And I think, you know, even having a, 
kind of a product that is, that is just as good as Shockwave will be successful. But, um, yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, without going into too much detail, you know, we have a few things up our sleeve at ABS that, that will really offer a lot of advantages to docs, uh, in, in treating these vessels. I, I won't get too much into, right. into the weeds there, but, but, uh, I think they'll have a lot of competitive advantages. Is there anything that needs to happen in terms of diagnostic technology or just in the way these patients are identified and diagnosed and, and imaged so that you can find the calcium or is that all pretty much obvious at this point? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, you have your typical, you know, CT angiograms and, you know, when the patient's on the table, your, your angiography. Yeah, you know, I'd say uh, that the industry is probably shifting more and more towards intravascular imaging, IVUS and OCT. Right. I think um, you know those those technologies have done have been really game changing in terms of you know what treatment you apply, uh, and I think that they'll probably continue to grow and, and change the industry. But uh, you know, I, I'd leave that more to to the the folks that that use those technologies every day. And then just talk about your trials. So, so the trial in and of itself was very real world. There was really no, no question as to whether the patients were, were extremely calcified or not. They, they certainly were. You, I mean, you could see, when you could see it on, uh, uh, you know, under fluoroscopy, you're, you're, you definitely have a significant amount of calcium. Uh, and then, you know, you can go in with, with various techniques like IVUS and OCT and, and really see the thickness of the, the calcium. I mean, in, in general, when it's there, you're, you're probably better off starting with an IVL technique like pulse, um, you know, when, when, when it, when it comes available. But, um, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, the idea is you, you don't want to get caught in something that you can't get out of, right? So, so, you know, you start with, you start with one of these techniques, create your, your radial waves, really, uh, restore the compliance of that vessel. And then, then you kind of open up more options for yourself. Let's talk about like what we should take away from the data that you had. The, the, the first human trial that we ran was, was definitely a real world trial. Yeah. Uh, not, not something you typically see in, in, in first human cases. You know, just, just as an example, we treated nine patients. Uh, out of those nine patients, we had to- 20 total lesions. Each, uh, maybe like 90, 95% of those had, had calcium, severe calcium. We, we treated uh, those patients on average 250 millimeters of lesion length. That's, I mean, that's that's huge when it comes to yeah. you know, a diseased vessel. Uh, very, very difficult to treat and very difficult to treat with a single treatment. I think we walked away from this trial with some incredible results on some not so easy to treat patients. As kind of a, an anecdote to, to your second part of your question, we treated one patient who had... Um, really diffuse disease. She had um, a, a heavily calcified lesion from, you know, her her you know, proximal F- SFA uh, all the way to, you know, you know mid popliteal artery. Uh, definitely not an easy at bat for sure. It fully, fully calcified. The part of it was occluded and, you know, docs were able to access all the way distally, you know, with a single balloon, treat over 312 millimeters of calcium. Yeah, the, the, when the doc uh, performed the you know, completion arteriogram, the, the um, or angiogram. The, there are definitely a lot of oohs and ahs in the room from from the from the folks that were helping. Uh, definitely a life changing moment for the patient, and yeah, you know, um, yeah, definitely definitely helpful to to kind of solidify our trust in the technology. It it's easy to use, um, but offers a whole lot of benefits to the patient. 
uh, and the physician using it. Are these the same people that do coronary interventions or is a peripheral interventionalist its own thing? Good question. I mean, uh, there's a number of different docs that do you know, various um you know, treat various vessel beds. You know, you know interventionalists most mostly. Uh, I'd say a good good portion of the interventionalists will, will go and treat coronary vessels. Yeah. Uh, you know, radiologists and uh, cardiovascular surgeons. You know, treat carotids and, and peripherals, and uh, that's kind of where where their domain lies. But you know, it's it's a bit of a mix. So what are you going to do next? When you got to do pivotal trial, so is that is that what's next? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's that's coming up next. I have to give a big shout out to the you know my R and D team and and, and in, in general the broader ABS team. Right. Uh, everyone is is laser focused. They, they they sort of see the potential impact that this product has. Um, you know, since Series B, uh, we've been rolling right along with you know development, building out the company, um, and, and we expect to initiate that peripheral trial uh, shortly, probably within the next six months. Okay. Um, so, so, and, and, you know, in, in regards to the you know, trial design, uh, it's mostly similar to, you know, Shockwave's index trial. So the playbook is, has sort of already been written. You just got to go, go, go run with it. So, I mean, is that an IDE trial or are you going to do it outside the U.S. again or? That, that will be an IDE trial that, okay. uh, all, all U.S. Is there potential that this could be used in other indications? What's great about this technology, and, and uh, you know, it's, you can kind of see it uh, in the, the competitive devices, um, is that the the capital equipment is very small footprint, and that, that's the benefit of Shockwave, right? You have an extremely small uh, footprint in the cath lab, and it's completely leverageable across indications, right? So you can take your your uh, capital equipment setup from you know, the peripheral lab and, and transport it over to the coronary lab, and and you you pull out a different disposable. Much of the work this year has been focused on you know obviously the peripheral side, but also leveraging the the capital equipment to go and do the coronary device, the coronary um, opportunity. Uh, you know, I, won't, I won't give too much info on the progress there, but we're we're making quite a bit, um, and you know we we expect. Um, we expect some, some news in, in that front uh, uh, pretty soon. Now, you mentioned that the footprint, which is actually a term I'm starting to hear more and more. Now, is that something inherent to just the way you're doing this, or did, was that a huge task to make it smaller? Like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I had the top-down approach from, from the very beginning and you know, recognizing that there's not a whole lot of room in the cath lab. Everything that we use fits on a single IV pole. You can think of it as you know, a parking meter outside your, you know, your city office, right? That, that's, that's the size, five-caster IV pole, and you wheel it in and out of the hospital or the, the, the cath lab. Super easy. I mean, some some devices, you know, are like refrigerators that you're moving around, right. and, and uh, that that I tell you is probably not going to be too fun uh, when, when you're you know, when you're treating complex peripheral procedures where you're going up and over radial approaches. It's going to make it difficult. So we've had that uh, intention, you know, with that empathetic attention to detail for the cath lab users, the techs, making sure that we're designing our products and we have that vision for our product that's not just the physician or the patient, it's also uh, for, you know, the, the tech in the, la- in the lab and, you know, the, the cleanup crew and, and, and you know, everybody that's, that's a stakeholder in, 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 in our success. Yeah, you picked Boston. You weren't there already. You weren't necessarily connected to there directly, right? The company obviously started from from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you know, COVID happened, and and um, you know, kind of transitioned. Yeah. Uh, this was still during uh, Series A investment, and uh, you know, transitioned the company uh, to where my family was. 
Um, and then, you know, kind of recognize that, you know, Boston really is, Boston and San Fran are really the hubs for, for medical device development. I mean, we, we have had a really, you know, excellent time, uh, finding top talent at, at ABS. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the, with with sort of minimal effort that the, the you know the, the level of engineering talent and regulatory and quality talent uh really really high uh, so it made our jobs easier and it has accelerated the company i mean you know you move you move a company uh you know five hours away and you expect it to take six months to get get up and running and we were probably up and running in one sure during covid there were probably moments you're like, is this ever going to get done am i ever going to see anybody get, you know all that so it's it's impressive that, you, <laughs> that you're able to do that. yeah i mean Navigating COVID for, for some companies is really tough. I, you know, I could say that there, you know, in, in, uh, in various parts of the country, you know, you have these startups that are kind of hanging up by a thread and, and they're not allowed to go to their office. I mean, ha, you know, you run a company like that. It's very, very difficult, right. uh, or near impossible. Yeah. Especially when you're actually um, making a thing that has to be right, exactly you know, in people, right? That, like, that thing has to be in front of you. Yeah. So, so that, that, that was a challenge. You know, props to any any companies that made it out uh, made it out alive. Right. Was that when you were doing your your study, or did the study kind of happen after that? These nine people. Uh, it, it was amidst that, and that, that's why it was very difficult to to find you know patients that um, you know kind of met criteria. So it's, you know you're you're traveling across the world. You have you know COVID restrictions. Um, it definitely slowed things down a bit. Uh, you're doing development efforts amidst COVID. I mean, you know, there's. It was it was tough to navigate the field. Um, definitely a learning experience. Definitely thick in the skin. So yeah. uh, anything anything that does that and you're still moving forward is good. Yeah. Well, if you figured that out, we're very good. <laughs> really appreciate it. I, I have to say the yeah. next uh, say six to twelve months are going to be are going to be impressive and and uh, you know there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so you know hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to talk again. That's it for this edition of Cardio Conversations. We're hoping to make these Cardio Conversations more regular in 2024, offering a variety of insights from leaders across the heart tech business. So if you've got an idea for a guest you'd like to hear or think you might be a good guest for our podcast, just let me know. My email address is reed, R-E-E-D, dot Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, at sightline, with a C, dot com. That's also in the notes on our website. You can find links to these websites and all of the other podcasts from MedTech Insight, as well as the podcast produced by our sister Sightline publications like HBW, Pink Sheet, Script, Invivo, etc. You can just click on the pull-down menu for podcasts at the top of our homepage. Thanks again to Robert Chisna and AVS, and thanks for joining us. Have a great January.